It's been a good day. Yeah. Wow. Hey, hey I, I want to start off today with some powerful words that, that Paul put on paper 2,000 years ago, not only to a, a bunch of believers in the city of Corinth, but also to a bunch of believers like you and I sitting in this room today, August the 18th, 2013. And, and, and in just a minute, I'm going to ask you all to stand as I read these words. And I like to do that every now and then just to remind myself and remind you that the words I'm about to read are not just mere ink on a page, but they are the, the very voice of God, that they are the words of life from the author of life himself. So would you, would you stand as I read this passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 15 to you? Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I receive, I pass on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as the one abnormally born. Now, now, question, what is the most important thing today? What was the most important thing yesterday? And what will be the most important thing this coming Friday? Uh, that Jesus lived, that Jesus died, and that Jesus Christ rose again three days from the grave. That's the most important thing. Father God, we love you. And God, thank you for reminding us what's important. Uh, we think our to-do list is important. Uh, we think our plans are important, our job is what's really important. But God, what is of first importance is that your son lived, that your son died, and that your son rose again from the grave. And Father, I pray today that we will hear these truths in a new and fresh way. God, I pray that we believe every word that comes from your scripture today. And God, I pray that you fill this place with the glory and power of your presence, that you will be magnified in this place, God, that your, that your spirit will, will blow a fresh wind and a fresh fire in this place and, and light us up for you and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated unless you want to stand. 2,000 years ago, God the Son, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the Prince of Peace, the everlasting Father, the mighty God, left all the glories of heaven and, and took a huge step down and became one of us, putting on flesh and entering human history. Yes, there really was a time when God lived and walked among his people. Now understand, since the dawn of creation... The overriding theme of human history, every bit of it, has been God's passionate pursuit of a prodigal people, has been the story of a loving God doing whatever it takes, and I mean absolutely whatever it takes, for God so loved the world to bring people back to himself. And listen, this great passion and this great pursuit caught up to us and was unleashed in all its fullness through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And it changed everything. It changed what? Everything. Maple Grove, welcome to chapter 27 of the story, The Resurrection. 
On a Sunday morning 2,000 years ago, a, a couple ladies got up before the sun was even risen in the sky. Now, why are they up so early? I mean, what was it that, that drove them from their beds before dawn and put them on a dark uphill climb to a cemetery? I understand the thing that drove them was their love for and their devotion to Jesus. You see, somebody had to prepare the, uh, the body for burial, and nobody else volunteered. Peter didn't. James didn't. And, and neither did John. So it was up to these two faithful followers, two women who had never left the side of Jesus, two women that were with him to the very end to do the job. So they went and they did it. And the task they were about to perform was a somber task, a difficult task. They will be the ones to wipe the blood from his brow, his legs, and from his sides. They, they will be the one to clean the body of Jesus. They will be the ones to remove the blood that had matted in his beard. They would be the last ones to touch his face and to, to close his eyes. They were heading to the tomb to prepare his body, body for burial, or so they thought. You see? And yeah, I, I know we know the rest of the story. But what if we didn't? What if we were them? What if that was you? What if that was I, up before dawn, walking to the cemetery? When they arrived to the place where, where Jesus was buried, they find that the, that, that the stone had been rolled away, and, and they look inside, and they found the tomb empty. Well, not really empty, because there was an angel. There was a young man in bright clothing sitting on the place where Jesus had laid. And understand, he wasn't a cute, cuddly hallmark angel. He, he was a powerful angel. He was a, if you're thinking about messing with me, that's not a very good idea kind of angel. And he said, don't be alarmed. Too late. You're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene who was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him, but go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Just as he told you. They were looking for Jesus who was crucified. They were looking for Jesus who was arrested, bound, beaten, bruised, battered. They were looking for Jesus who was mocked and insulted and punched. They were looking for Jesus who had his beard ripped out by the handful. They were looking for Jesus who had been whipped 39 times with a Roman scourge embedded with broken pieces of glass and pottery. They were looking for Jesus who was crucified and buried. But, but understand, from the very moment... Uh, the Roman soldier pounded the first nail into the flesh of God on that Friday morning. Sunday was coming. And on Sunday, Jesus Christ, with great power, burst forth from the grave. The tomb is empty. Jesus is alive. The enemy has been defeated. And death could not and death never will hold our Jesus down. Don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus. The Nazarene was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. You know, I'm convinced that Jesus wants to say the same very thing to some people in this room this morning. Don't be alarmed. Don't be afraid. Don't live in fear. It's going to be okay. In fact, it already is okay because I have risen, I am alive, and my death, my burial, and my resurrection has changed everything. Okay. Now, throughout his ministry, Jesus said that this, that would happen on that first Easter weekend, he said it was going to happen. 
He knew about the betrayal, the denials, the crucifixion, and his death. And when Jesus went to Jerusalem to begin his ministry, after overturning the tables and driving out the money changers, he said this, destroy this temple. I bet he said it kind of like Clint Eastwood or, you know, something like that. Destroy this temple? <laughs> you going to destroy this temple? Destroy this temple and I will raise it up in three days. He said in Matthew 12, 40, to some religious leaders who got all bent out of shape because Jesus cast out a demon. As Jonah was three days and three nights in the body of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And Jesus said to his guys as he prepared to go to Jerusalem for the last time, as he set his face towards that city, even though he knew it was going to happen, Matthew writes these words, he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and the third day be raised to life. I understand from the beginning of his ministry to the end of his ministry, Jesus said that he would suffer, that he would die, and that he would rise again. And he also said that his resurrection would be irrefutable, undeniable. If you seriously weigh the evidence, you're going to believe it proof that Jesus Christ was exactly who he said he was. God in the flesh the light of the world, the great I am, the Savior King, the Christ, the Messiah, the living God. Check out what Paul wrote to the church in Rome, in Romans 1, verse 4. He was declared to be God's son with great power by what? By rising from the dead. Jesus' resurrection is meant to remove any doubt whatsoever as to who Jesus is. Now understand that the Jesus we love that we follow, that we sing to and worship, the Jesus that many in this room have surrendered their lives to and have gathered in this place to honor is not just a prophet. He's not just a good teacher. He's not just a really, really nice guy. He is God. He is the Alpha and Omega. He is the first and the last. He is the everlasting Father. He is the bread of life. He is the living water. He is the wonderful counselor. He is the prince of peace. He is the lion of Judah. He is the matchless king. He is the great high priest. He is the sinner savior. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. He is mighty. He is holy. And he is alive. My savior loves. My savior lives. My savior's always there for me. My God, he was, my God, he is, my God, he's always going to be. You see, the resurrection is a big deal. It's a huge deal. It's the hugest deal of all time. It is the ultimate game changer. Paul put it like this in 1 Corinthians 15. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep, those who have died in Christ are what? They're lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. I'm so glad the story doesn't end there. <laughs> but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, for since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes through a man. 
For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Maple Grove, that's the good news. Maple Grove, that's great news. And Maple Grove, that's the exact news that you and I need to hear every single day. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection 2,000 years ago, it changed everything. And it's God's intention that it continues to change everything today. I love what this guy, H.A. Williams, I don't know if that's Hank or not, you know, um, said. The resurrection of Jesus must be experienced as more than a past historical event. Otherwise, it is robbed of its impact and its power. Understand, we too can know Paul. I mean, I understand, like Paul, we too can know Christ and the power of the resurrection. And like Peter, we can receive mercy and experience new birth into a living hope. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's giving us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Maple Grove. Welcome again to chapter 27 of the story. And man, I got to tell you that that ever since we hit chapter 24, back on July 28th, No Ordinary Man, a conversation that I called, Who Do You Say That I Am? I mean, each week in in such a mind-blowing and life-altering way has reminded and reinforced in me the centrality of Christ. He really is. He really is the cornerstone. He really is the foundation. Understand, there's never been and never will be anybody like Jesus. There's never been a teacher like Jesus. There's never been a king like Jesus. There's never been a man like Jesus. There's never been anybody that could do the things that Jesus did. Calming the storm, healing the sick, raising the dead. And there's never been anybody who spoke words like Jesus spoke. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and, and I will give you rest for your souls. Take, take, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle, humble, and heart. Yeah, it's been an absolute stinking, lutely, pumpified ride. An absolute stinking, lutely, pumpified ride since July 28th. And, and I got to tell you that today's reminder and reinforcement could not have come at a better time for me. Or for Randy Rogers. As you know, our, our moms went home this week. My mom, Ruth Lily Malone, went home to be with the Lord in, in her sleep early this past Wednesday. Yet today is my mom's very first Sunday to literally be in, in his presence. My, my mom went to sleep in, in Texas on Wednesday, but when my mom opened her eyes, She was in paradise. My mom hadn't been able to go to church for years, but today she's in that chorus crying out with the multitude, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. And all I can say is what an awesome, what awesome timing from God that I have the honor and privilege to talk about his resurrection today. An historical event that has the potential to change everything in your life and mine, our past, our present, and our future. And yeah, buddy, we better take some cornflakes with us. Cornflakes with cornflakes. New cereal, cornflakes. 
Okay. You know this stuff. Nothing I'm going to say is not anything you've heard before. Don't let these truths get soggy. Don't let the truth that the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ really changes everything. Don't let it be soggy. Don't let it be old hat. I mean, if it doesn't get us excited, if it doesn't make us want to jump up and shout, then we've got something wrong with us. If we get more excited about getting a good parking spot you know, at, at the store than we do about the fact that our Savior lived, our Savior died, and our Savior lives again, we need to do a heart check. So bring your cornflakes. And listen, by the authority of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ, I, I proclaim to you that if you today open your eyes and open your ears, that you will hear the voice of God. You will hear it. And maybe God wants to talk to you about something in your past, or maybe he wants to talk to you about something in your present or in your future. But if you listen, you'll hear him because our God is always speaking. The resurrection changes our past. Question, have you ever wish you could change something in your past? I mean, is there something in your rear view mirror that you wish you could undo, delete, or erase? Man, I wish that didn't happen to me. If I only knew then what I know now, if I could only turn back the clock, if I could only take back those words, if only I didn't go there or do that, if only I could get another chance. You see, the truth is many times the past disables us, controls us, depresses us, imprisons us, limits us, and at times the past even defines us. But the good news of the resurrection is that the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ can change our past in at least two ways. First, it does it by freeing us from the pain of regret. If there was ever anyone who understood the pain of regret, it was Peter, right? I mean, imagine what that Saturday felt like. I think it had to be the longest 86,400 minutes in Peter's entire life. And how do you think he felt when he woke up that Sunday morning? I think he felt devastated. I think he felt ashamed. I think he felt eaten up by guilt and drowning in regret. Ever been there? Are you there even now? I understand many people live in the prison regret, trapped by past mistakes, and perhaps this morning you feel a little bit like Humpty Dumpty. Nothing could ever put me back together again. I've done too much. I've gone too far. My sins and mistakes are just too deep. And if that is what you're thinking, or if that is what the enemy is going to try to get you to think later down the road, I take great pleasure in telling you that you are wrong, that you're dead wrong. Because the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, it, it changes everything. I mean, come on, just imagine how awesome it would be to no longer have the past control you, limit you, disable you, and define you. I mean, wouldn't you like to ask Peter, Peter, how did it feel when you heard those words, when those, those two women you know, burst in the room out of breath from their 5K run from the, from the tomb, 
How did it feel when you heard those words? But go tell his disciples and Peter. As you're going ahead of you in the Galilee, there you will see him just as he told you. Yeah, be, be sure to tell Peter he gets another chance. Yeah, be sure to tell Peter that, that with Jesus, three strikes and you're, you're not out. That is, as long as you still want to swing the bat. Don't let it get soggy. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus changes everything. It changes our past. It removes the stain. It removes our shame. It forgives our sin. On the cross, Jesus Christ cried out, in English, three words, it is finished. In Greek, one word, tetelestai, which means paid in full. Do you ever pay a bill off? Do you worry about a bill you paid off 20 years ago? No, it's paid in full. Maple Grove, never, never, never forget what we talked about last week, that God put the wrong on him who never did anything wrong so we could be put right with God. Never forget that that God placed our sins on his son so that he could pour out his sin-hating wrath on Jesus and in turn pour out his soul-loving grace on us. He was handed over to die because of our sins and was raised to life to make us right with God. I remember years ago on a, a Good Friday uh, we had a room set up for prayer, and I, I was nailing a, a red ribbon to a wooden cross. And, and, and after I, I nailed, it, nailed it to the cross, I, you know, I knelt down, and I, I looked up, and I closed my eyes, and I tried to picture Jesus looking down at me, and his, his beaten body and bruised body and his blood. And, and I heard him say something to me, and, and it wasn't what I was expecting, you know? It's like... I expect him to say something like, dude, what a loser. Are you like ever going to get your act together? He didn't say that. I heard him say, Steve, you're free. Steve, let it go. I mean, I pictured him bleeding, talking to me, saying, Steve, I did not go through all of this so that you would still be trapped in guilt. I understand guilt is a... It's a necessary stop in our journey, but it's never intended to be our final destination, right? We got to stop there. We don't have to live there. Paul writes these words. Therefore, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's now no what? No condemnation for who? For those who are, who are in Christ Jesus. And I'm a simple person. I'm like, okay, then I want to be in Christ Jesus. And how do I do that? And I, I want it like supersized, you know, I, I want it super, super, supersized, you know, how, how do we get in Christ? And, and according to scripture, we get in Christ when we believe, when we repent, when we confess and, and when we're baptized, when we say, you know what, Jesus, I believe in who you are and what you did. And, and I believe that I'm screwing my life up and I need to stop living for me and start living for you. And Jesus, I'm okay telling anybody, anywhere, anytime that you're my Lord and Savior. I'll confess you before men. And then we do exactly what we saw Catholic do. We're buried with Christ in baptism, and we rise to live a new life. If you haven't done all those things, water's very nice and warm, and I got all day. Amen? Amen. Amen.
Pretty good deal, isn't it? Like, like her sins are like all gone. And the Spirit's living in her. Like, that's, that's pretty awesome. Next, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus changes our past by freeing us from the prison of resentment. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Listen, everybody in this room has been hurt by other people. In fact, we've probably been hurt a lot, sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally. And here's the deal. You know, what you and I choose to do with that hurt will determine whether we live freely or whether we live in prison. Question, what have you not gotten over? What is it that even as I bring up the topic of resentment, the flames of bitterness and the fires of hurt are rekindled? I understand resentment cannot change the past. It cannot correct the problem. It doesn't change the person, other person. In fact, it doesn't even hurt the other person. It only hurts you. It makes us miserable. You see, most of the time, they've got on with their life. They're totally clueless. And, and, and you're the one imprisoned by the past. See, the bottom line, Jesus wants to rescue you and I from the prison of resentment so that we can move on with their life. And not only does he want us to be free from resentment, he shows us how to do it. He shows us that we just need to release it. That we just need to let it go. When they nailed his hands and feet to the cross, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. And realize to say those words, you know what he had to do, right? He had to push up and his back is raw. His organs are showing just to get a breath to be able to talk. Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. A lot of times that's true, isn't it? A lot of times the people who hurt us, they don't really know what they're doing. Now, if you're like me, I can see that for me, right? It's like, well, I didn't know I did that to you. I didn't know what I was doing. You know, I didn't know. You know, I, I see that for me, right? <laughs> I don't always see that for other people. But a lot of times they don't really know. They don't know what they're doing to themselves. They don't know what they're doing to you. They don't know what they're doing to their walk with God. We just need to let it go. I mean, we saw this all the way back in chapter 3 of the story with a guy named Joseph, right? I mean, he forgave his brothers who, who didn't just like you know, break his bicycle or something, who threw him in jail and in prison and messed his life up for 13 years. And he just let it go. Now, now, when he let him go, it didn't mean that what the brothers did wasn't wrong. And sometimes we let it go. It doesn't mean that there aren't consequences. But Joseph said, you know what? I, I've, been in, I've been in a real prison, and I'm not going to stay in prison by holding resentment question got any resentment today god says to you and to me bear with each other and forgive each other whatever grievances you may have against one another forgive as the lord forgave you jesus death burial and resurrection also changes our present is there anything you would like to change about your present do you think it's possible to be different do you think it's possible to see the, to see the change that you long in your life to become reality it's changed something we expect, even in the church. Hey, do you know what I think? I'm going to tell you anyhow. <laughs> you didn't want to know, but I'm going to tell you. I think maybe some people in this room have pretty much given up on the idea of change, of becoming the person they long to be. I will never overcome that fear. 
I'll never overcome my doubts. I'll I'll never overcome that bad habit. I'll never overcome my insecurity. I'll never become who God wants me to be. And listen, if you are or have ever felt those things, I have great news to tell you. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything. It changes our present, first of all, by filling us with a new power. And we need some serious cornflakes here. Paul says, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, uh, the riches of his glorious inheritance in saint, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Paul said, man, I know you don't get it. Paul says, I, I know this truth is sitting in your bowl and it's gotten soggy. I, I know that this doesn't excite you as much as it should. And it's incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. He's saying that the same power that conquered the grave lives in me, and it lives in you. You see, the power for change, the power to become the person that we've always wanted to be, it's not from us, it's from God. It's not by our might, our power, but by his spirit. Not only does it, he fills us with new power, but he makes us into a new person. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. understand if we are a follower of Christ, we are a new creation. We are. We just need to begin living in and walking out that truth in our lives. Hey, check out what a guy named Ezekiel, 600 years before Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, he's talking about this newness that's coming because of Christ and the power that will make it a reality. He says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I remove from you your heart of stone and and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Bottom line, fellow Jesus followers, we we just need to cooperate with the spirit a little bit better. We need to cooperate with the spirit and the new heart that is already in us. Understand, we don't create the river. We just jump in the sucker and let it carry us to the person that God wants us to be. It changes our present by filling us a new power, by making us a new person, and by giving us a new purpose. We know this one, right? We even had a t-shirt, right? Maybe the bumper sticker. Put it on a coffee mug. For we are God's masterpiece. I am a work of art painted by the brush of the most creative being that has ever lived. And God didn't paint me. God didn't paint you just to hang us on a wall for people to look at. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do 
the good things he planned for us long ago. That is nuts. God has plans for me. God says, this is what I want you to do. And basically, one of our main purposes, you know what it is? It's real simple. To be the light of the world. To use our lives to point to Jesus wherever we are at work. You work at the bank, you work at Inject, you work at DIA. No, you can't tell me because you might have to kill me, right? But when, you, when we have a bunch of students, right? Great opportunity coming up for students going to school this Wednesday, right? I mean, how many opportunities will God give you this year when you go to your schools? See, God has called you to redeem your school for him, to reclaim your school for him, to use your life to point to him. Finally, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus changes our future. You understand, one of the reasons that first Easter was so good was because that Saturday was so bad. Now, understand, on Saturday, the disciples didn't think they had much of a future. Instead, they were in meltdown mode. I mean, they were hiding in any available corner they could find in the city because they were afraid there just might be a cross with their name on it. You know, on Saturday, they had no courage. They had no hope. And none, not one of the disciples were asking each other, hey, what are you going to say to him when you see him tomorrow? And not one, no one was doing the math. Okay, Jesus said that he would die and raise again three days. Okay, Friday was day one and today's day two. Hey, guys, you know what I think? I think we ought to get up early tomorrow. But no one connected the dots. Therefore, Saturday was a day of no hope and no courage. Optimism had cost Optimism had caught the last train to the coast. And when Sunday comes, the one going to the tomb, the ones going to the tomb, they weren't going there to talk to Jesus. They were going there to prepare him for burial. They were going there to embalm Jesus. Carrying spices to anoint a dead body does not seem like much of an Easter parade or a victory march to me. Sure, it may have been Sunday on the calendar, but it was still Saturday in their minds. They were stuck in a Saturday state of mind about their future. Question, do you ever feel like your world when it comes to hope and courage for the future is kind of stuck on Saturday? I mean, you want to be full of hope and courage. But, but even if you do put your hope in something or someone, sometimes like the disciples... They let you down, or worse yet, they die. I understand death is the ultimate slap in the face. It's the ultimate kick in the pants. I mean, you do the best you can. You pay your dues. You, you make a contribution to the world. You do your best to make something of your life. You try to stay healthy. You try to eat right. You try to live, but no one outlives death. In the end, we die. Our hearts stop. Our lungs expire. Everybody dies. And listen, there's something about that truth that just sends us into a Saturday state of mind. You've been there. And if you haven't, one day you're going to drive past a cemetery. One day you're going to sit over a gravesite. One day you're going to sit at a table in a funeral home. And it will dawn on you, I can't outrun this. I can't outbargain this. This is where I am heading. Listen, I believe that if we do not have an answer to the grave, we are stuck in a Saturday state of mind. 
for our entire lives. Sure, we may have our moments, but we're still stuck on Saturday. And that, and that, and that is why I so love the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Understand, because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Oh, man, come on. Because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, every human being has been given the promise that in Christ, death is not a dead end. It is just an exit ramp to the next life, to the best life, to the better life. To a sister who who, who was mourning the death of her brother, to a sister who was trying just to hold it together, to a sister who thought, man, if Jesus had just gotten here earlier, the outcome would have been different. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? You know, I like to write on my hands. I'm odd that way. But today I wrote on 1125. I am the resurrection and the life. Paul writing the church in Corinth writes these words. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given what? New life. Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they will be raised to live forever. Our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they will be raised in glory. They're buried in weakness, but they will be raised in strength. They're buried as natural bodies, but they will be raised as spiritual bodies. For just as there are natural bodies, there are also spiritual bodies. Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, it's time to start trash-talking death. Hey, death, you got nothing. You got nothing. My Lord is alive. Where's your victory? Where's your sting? You ain't nothing. Because of my Jesus. For sin is a sting that results in death, and the law gives sins its power. But thank God, He gives us victory over sin and death. He gives us victory over sin and death. He gives me victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Maple Grove. If you're a Jesus follower, if you're in Christ, if you have surrendered to him and through faith, repentance, confession, and baptism, your future is secure. Your future is guaranteed. Your future is coming soon, and it is going to blow your mind in the most wonderful and glorious ways. Understand, Jesus Christ has moved the entire world from Saturday to Sunday. Guys, do you understand where we're going? Do you understand the forever that Jesus is preparing for us? No death, no disease, no sorrow, no pain, no divorce, no breakups, no cemeteries, no funeral homes. (laughs) Paul, I'm talking about this future. He says this. I consider that our present sufferings. Man, it's hard, isn't it? You're going through some hard times. 
Life has not worked out the way you wanted it to. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Understand when we get there. Understand when we see him. And and the cool thing is, my mom sees him now. And all the pain, Randy's mom sees him now. All their pain, all their sorrow, all their suffering, all the junk they went through are worth it. Are worth it. They're not worth comparing to where they are right now. Man, unbelievable. In Christ, we've already won the ultimate lottery of life, the gold medal. We've already won the victory. Our future is secure. It's guaranteed and it's coming soon. Like I said, this was a, a, a really rough week for me. You know, it was tough having my mom leave this earthly life on Wednesday. And it's going to be tough to know that I, you know, I can't pick up the phone. Say, hey, what you doing? But though it was tough, and will be tough, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection changes everything. That's what Paul was talking about in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. See, they thought Christ was coming real soon, and people they love had died. They're thinking, well, okay, that's kind of messed up. They're, like, not here when you come, or are they, like, are they going to get, like, screwed over here, <laughs> you know, because they're dead? He says, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe... That Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. He's going to bring back Randy's mom with him. He's going to bring my first wife. He's going to bring my dad. He's going to bring my mom. He's going to bring your loved ones in Christ. That's good news. (laughs) Wow. According to the Lord's word, uh, we tell you that we are still alive. We are left until the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. They get to go first. They get the new body first. They're first in line. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Oh, there goes my mom. New body. Awesome. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds. Crazy stuff. To meet the Lord in the air. And so we'll be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. We're going home. Now, now, I passed out these forks, and I'm sorry I don't have any pie for you. And you may know the illustration, but that's all right. The cornflakes just don't want to talk to me anymore. You know how you're having dinner? Maybe the dinner, maybe the dinner was good, maybe it wasn't so good. Maybe the meatloaf wasn't what you wanted, or maybe you didn't want meatloaf to begin with. And they say to you, Hold the fork. And know why they tell you that? Because the best is about to come. My mom made the best pumpkin pie. Killer pumpkin pie. And listen, because of the great I am, because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, we need to hold on to our forks because the best is yet to come. I'm going home. I'm going home. I'm going home. I'm going home. John writes this in Revelation chapter chapter 1. 
I love this. It's good stuff. He, he sees Jesus in all his glory. He's like freaking out. When I saw him, I fell at his feet, though dead. Then he placed his hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys to death in Hades. In other words, they no longer have any power over you. Just one thought, and then we're going to sing this awesome song. You know the story, Peter and John are racing to the tomb. John, a little bit faster, gets there first. He goes in and believes. Peter kind of hangs out for a while. And it wasn't until he got in the tomb that he believed. For some of you, you've been hanging outside the tomb long enough. You've been hanging outside these truths. Oh, yeah, he can forgive my past. Yeah, he can help me deal with the regret. Yeah, he can move in my present life with his power and his spirit and give me a new life and I can be a new person. But you haven't gone into the tomb yet. Yeah, he can give me a future that gives me hope no matter what I'm facing. And today I just want to encourage you to stop hanging outside the tomb and to walk in and to let Jesus Christ, death, burial, and resurrection change everything. Will you stand as I pray? Father God, we love you. We need you. And Father God, we thank you that we do not have to grieve like men who have no hope. Our hope is in Christ. And Father, we thank you that because of Jesus, because of your son, because of the great I am, because of his victory, the best is yet to come. Amen.